It seems that these are the worst of times. Nearly half the country indifferent to treasonous crimes. What is true? What's a lie? What's the law? Why comply? We move under a pall of uncertainty and fear. The end of democracy could be near. Don't know how to bridge the chasms, divides, while civilization seemingly unravels before our eyes. Books banned, speech gagged, guns in the hands of those who've been flagged, the lonely, the ill, abusive, despairing. So many massacres, not enough caring. Women's bodies, no longer their own, whether raped or consenting, young girls or full-grown, fires and floods, hurricanes and drought, mass extinction, no longer in doubt. Billionaires in charge, elections are bought. Schools underfunded, civics not taught. When it seems that the world as we know it is dying, we find ourselves doom-scrolling, paralyzed, shrying, but all the while, something else is unfolding. If only we shift and consider beholding new worlds born, imaginations on fire, leaps in consciousness, witness, admire, dedications to equity, diversity, inclusion, old myths of equality, no longer any illusions, reckoning with our history and how to repair, initiatives abounding to address what's unfair, Bursts in understanding our bodies, our minds, the nervous system, trauma and healing combine. Empathy, self-awareness, mindfulness and learning advances, accelerating our powers of discerning. Questions about rest, work and play, how we organize ourselves, how we live out our day. Reconsidering assumptions on human primacy. Conscious octopi, networked trees, self-restoring self ecosystems on land and sea. Rapidly shifting power to sun and wind, renewable, clean, whole new ways to begin. Now we can see ourselves among the stars, our context, our company, where we really are. We find ourselves here between dissolution and promise. Don't know what's next, but a new age is upon us. How do we live while so much is dying? What do we fight for? What is worth trying? I cannot say what it is you should do. I do not know. This year, that's true. But when at a loss, I find that it's best to ask those before us what they did when pressed. You think we're the first to face uncertainty and decay? Our ancestors mastered that back in the day. In fact, this Rosh Hashanah, we hear four women described who faced some kind of death and yet kept hope alive. Sarah, Hagar, Hannah, and Rachel. Their stories are fanciful, might sound like fables, but listen carefully. They have something to teach. Glean strategy, vision, and wisdom from each. And while we're learning about this moment on earth, we'll recast the conversation about women and birth. Hayom Harat Olam tradition teaches, today a new world is conceived, and that is the lesson that this sermon preaches. Each of the four mothers faced something dying. Hannah, her society. Rachel, humanity. Hagar, her own child. Sarah, her vitality. Each employed determination, perseverance, vision, and courage. 
emotion, intelligence, toughness, endurance, to birth something new that never existed. The odds seemed impossible. Nevertheless, they persisted. Let us listen to our foremothers with voices so clear about death, about birth, and how to live while we're here. We begin with Hannah, who, heard, who we heard in today's Haftarah, begging God for a child. It is not what it seems. Hannah believed from her youth that her worth was in her womb. Childless, she was mocked. She was pitied. But worse, she came to doubt the value of her very life. She began to pray in the deep anguish of night. It was her anger that empowered her to confront God. Until those nighttime reckonings, she was not bold enough to consider herself in relation to the master of the universe. However, as she was frustrated month after month, as she asked in the dead of night why she was created, she began to take that question seriously. For the first time, it occurred to her that perhaps she was here for something other than mothering. She had another purpose. She had not imagined any other way a woman could be. Now the question opened a vista before her. What was she here to give? And she saw a choice. It was known that her nation was lost. The priesthood had become corrupt. A system that once called the people to their highest purpose was now self-serving and cynical. Hannah faced a moment we know all too well. She realized that in a society she believed to be just and good, the old ideals were never really quite true. The pillars she took for granted had to be questioned. And she lived in a time when the institutions had been hollowed out, so it all felt dangerously fragile. Though she knew that big change was needed, she wanted to defend and preserve what was worthy. In addition, they thought then, like most of us think now, that childbearing made a woman's life complete. They, like us, were so immersed in patriarchy. I think God's calling. <laughs> we got it? In addition, they thought then, like most of us think now, that childbearing made a woman's life complete. They, like us, were so immersed in patriarchy, it was largely invisible. We now are fighting vocally about choice, as we should. But it's mainly choice about when to give birth, not whether. Let us not pretend, Hannah tells us, that human children are all we're here to birth. Half of us and more cannot birth a child through our bodies, and some will choose not to. But all of us, children of the great creator, give birth to ideas, visions, relationships, imagination, enterprises, possibilities. We birth worlds. Hannah saw in those dark nights that she had a world to birth. Her people had lost faith in each other and in their way of life. They had forgotten what was possible. They needed prayer, personal articulation of inner truth 
and longing, democratic communication with the source of life. And they needed leadership, a prophet, a trusted voice and guidance and vision. One part of this she could do by herself. The other, ironically, required a son. Once she realized this, Hannah took on Adonai with a cleverness and determination that even the rabbis of the Talmud noted with reverence. They said of her, there was no one who called the Holy One Adonai Tzavaot a term of war until Hannah. The Talmud records her direct, brazen challenge to God. Master of the universe, are you not Adonai Tzavaot, the Lord of hosts, and of all the hosts of creations that you created in your world? Is it difficult to grant me one son? She threatened God, the rabbis say. She reasoned, she cajoled, she spoke to God like Elijah did, they say, like Moses did. Some said it was impertinent. Turns out it was effective. Hannah's prayers became a model for us and all who followed her, the greatest achievement of her generation. And she gave birth to prophecy through Samuel and gave him directly to the sanctuary to serve right in the center of power, thus restoring trust in leadership, in ethics, in truth, and in the system itself. Hannah gave birth to prayer, and Hannah gave birth to a future for her people. When the world was closed to her as a woman, she found a new way. She discerned what she was here to do in the world. She made her choice, and then she fought for it. She teaches that we can fight too to rise to the moment with audacity and courage, to choose what we will give with our lives, to birth what must be born. Rachel, who we meet in tomorrow's Haftarah, also dedicated her life to birthing. In fact, Rachel died giving birth. And in the process, Rachel birthed compassion. Forever, she is the one, our tradition says, who weeps whenever we suffer when we're afraid, when we're alone, when we face the dying that is around us. In the words of the prophet Jeremiah tomorrow, who saw Rachel watching our people marched into captivity and exile, a cry is heard in Ramah, wailing, bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children who are gone. Rachel cries against the destructive impulse the impulse to destroy that's in God and in us. The urge to exile, the drive to despoil, the itch to lay waste. She, she cries for the routine violence against women in their beds and in the fields and by the river and behind the shed and against children who dropped the bucket or failed to keep up or dared to speak back for the innocent villages in the path of the marauding army, for the conquered. How often it has been our people in particular located on that strange throughway between continents, the spoil of empires, then scattered and despised the target of demagogues. Perhaps worse, sometimes we've been the conquerors, the ruthless, the destructive, the occupying forces. Rachel will not be comforted. Rachel will not let God off the hook. She will not be appeased or placated. She will not resign herself to the way of the world as it is. She will never accept what is unacceptable. 
she will grieve, and she will not stop until all of the cruelty comes to an end. She knows that violence is grief unfelt. She sees us now, more than 150 years without war in this land, yet immersed in violence in our streets, in our prisons, in our schools, in our homes. She sees us in our loneliness, surrounded by the collapse of life, death and dying on a planetary scale. She sees us hide our grief. She sees us medicate ourselves. She sees us pretend that we don't feel it. She sees our little children crying for the polar bears and the rhinos and the gorillas and the pandas and the blue whales and the monarchs and the bees and the salamanders and the frogs and the parrots and the plovers and the owls and the rainforests and the coral reefs and the glaciers, of course, and the beaches. And every sweltering, storming day, a reminder of the world dying before our eyes of our grandchildren and their potential demise. She sees that we are so bound by our failure to grieve that we destroy, not because we are indifferent, but because we are locked into not feeling. She cries because she knows that someday when we cry, when we turn toward our mourning, pour out our tears, let all the wounded guarded places within us come undone, then we can make choices. Then we can love the world again. Then we can choose life. God, seeing Rachel unrelenting in her mourning, inconsolable, makes a promise. The people will be gathered. The blind, the lame, the pregnant, the nursing will come home again, radiant, by the streams, by the rivers, along the grassy plains. The feminine will encircle the masculine, the text tells us, and together they will find balance. Compassion will overtake violence. Rachel shows us there's another way. Anger and action have their place, but so does protest in the form of lament. She counsels that we do less and feel more. Softening armor, growing compassion, disengaging from harm, defending what is alive and endangered. Perhaps, she advises, we will learn to breathe, simply breathe with everything that lives to listen and end ruination. Hagar, from the Torah today, also birthed something new. Ishmael was her sun and dawn, moon and horizon. But more than her child, Hagar birthed vision. When she and her sweet boy were sent away with a skin of water and a piece of bread, the desert was hot, the sun harsh, the earth scorched, and her child, her precious child, she carried him as long as she could, but when the water was gone and he was nearly done, she placed him down and closed her eyes so as not to see. She could not bear to watch, so she tried to hide from the unfathomable. And that was when she finally cried, Thank God, something caused her to open her eyes and look right at her dying child. And then she could see what she couldn't before. Her vision expanded and right there, water, life. To Abraham and Sarah, she seemed not much more than property. 
But to God, Hagar was worthy of prophecy. She was seen, and she could see. Naming God el Roi, naming the place wellspring of life and vision. When her eyes were opened, Hagar saw choices before her. What looked like death could become new beginning. Freedom was hers, a new life in what seemed like the end. She and Ishmael became the ancestors of 12 chieftains and a great nation. Before she was a slave, a servant, a concubine, a stranger, family yet not family. Now she was a free woman, matriarch to a great line, with choices abounding, a new world she'd define. Hagar had loved Abraham and Sarah in a way. And later, after Sarah died, Abraham asked Hagar to marry. And she decided to forgive. Together, they had six more children. And after Abraham died, Isaac and Rebekah came to live near Hagar. So in the end, she was family. But now on her terms, belonging to no one, thriving in dignity. What Hagar comes to teach, different from Hannah and Rachel, is that just when it seems there's no hope, no way out, something else is beginning, put aside all your doubt. There is real occasion for heartbreak and grief. The world can be crushing without much relief. But when, but what seems like a dead end contains possibility, don't you dare think that it's all just futility. More freedom is waiting, says this daughter of Pharaoh. If you cannot see choices, your vision is too narrow. Lift up your eyes. You'll find ways through no way. This is a message of deliverance for our day. And now we turn to Sarah, whose wizened voice is defensive, defiant. She knows we're judging her, and we are. And the Torah judges her too. There's a lesson here about pursuing our goals with such determination and focus, we fail to see the people around us. We fail to see the ways we harm others. But Sarah asks us to remember that it was not her idea that she and Abraham would transmit covenant through their child Isaac. It was God's idea. Her goal all along was simply to do what God asked, to trust that her life was an instrument of a larger mission. Go forth, God had called them long ago, to a land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and you shall be a blessing. I will give you a son, and I will bless you, and you shall give rise to nations. You will bear a son named Isaac, and I will maintain my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for the generations. So when Ishmael became the eldest son, and Sarah, by far the older woman, knew she would die long before Hagar, leaving no one to fight for Isaac's birthright, and honestly, she didn't trust Abraham's judgment when it came to Isaac. <laughs> she chose to take a stand for covenant, for God, for her child, so that her husband could see that his younger son was the inheritor of this promise to which they'd given their lives. She did not ask that Hagar and Ishmael be left in the desert to die. All she asked was to send them elsewhere to live. Why Abraham sent them off without much water or food or a way to survive, she did not understand. Why he was so ready to risk their two lives, foreshadowing the Akedah, which was about to transpire. But before all of this, before all of this, Sarah gave birth 
to faith in emergence. Now, the story tells us that she gave birth at age 90. If you doubt this, don't worry, the lesson is still timely. God said that Sarah was alive on the earth to birth a new future, to create a people who would be a blessing for all humanity, but then it did not happen. Year after year, cycle after cycle, decade after decade, it did not happen. Waiting and waiting, how could she not doubt? Too often she thought, it is hopeless, it is too late. There's no way, just give up. When Sarah was told she'd give birth at age 90, she laughed, of course. At 90, you are dying, not birthing. Laughter was the only response. She could not bear any more disappointment. But there was some tiny spark within that still believed against all odds that she could play her role that she could be of use, that she could bring the world toward redemption. Even as she herself was so near the end, it's silly, it's absurd, it makes no sense, but she decided to try. That was her choice, to try. Not give up, but give effort at age 90 to try. If she can do that, we can believe that our world can be saved, be given reprieve. Imagine that you had a deep sense of purpose, felt that your life was about something of service. You could see the way the world should move forward. Your vision was clear, your goal determined. You set up your life as a way to contribute, and then it all went backwards or sideways or stagnant, at least on the surface. Your hopes, your dreams, they all seemed to be dashed. You thought to give up. Step aside as it crashed. But the lesson of Sarah is to believe, to have faith, persist, persevere through all doubt toward your fate. That even when it seems it's all over, that time's up, change might appear out of nowhere. And it could be abrupt. There's always gestation that we cannot see. The trick is to believe without guarantee. Hannah, Rachel, Hagar and Sarah, all of them used tactics we might need now. Prayer, discernment, protest, lament, endurance, forgiveness, laughter, perseverance. Each of them birthed something new against the odds. Leadership, compassion, vision, and faith in emergence. And us in this room, there are many things we do not choose. Our own births, our wounds, our sickness, our talents, but there are many things we can choose. What we create, what we nurture, what we give, how we live. You are the midwives who help new creations be born. You are the ones who do not give birth so something else can become. You are the fathers, the stepmothers, the nannies, the coaches who take in life you did not gestate, who care for life and help it grow. Make for yourself a new creation. Make for yourself a microcosm. Make for yourself a burst of awareness. Make for yourself a garden. Make for yourself a diorama. Make for yourself a vision. Make for yourself a depth of feeling. Make for yourself a small group. Make for yourself an act of chesed. Make for yourself the future that should become right in your neighborhood, right where you live. Nothing is stopping you. You choose what you give. 
It's always the end, and it's always the beginning. There is dying, and there is birthing, and there is living, and there is nurturing life, and we are so small, and we are bigger than we can imagine. And Hannah is fighting for the future, and Rachel is crying for her children, and Hagar is seeing water in the desert, and Sarah is laughing because she gave birth when everyone thought she was dying. Hayom harat olam. Today, a new world is conceived, and we are doing the birthing. Shana tova.